This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Our second reading uh, as we're working through the, the book of Acts together is from Acts 3, chapter 3, verses 1 through 26. It's on pages 104 and 105 in your pew Bible. So Acts chapter 3, 1 through 26. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people, they saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's portico, utterly astonished. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people, You Israelites, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob... The God of our ancestors has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release him. But you rejected the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by faith in his name, His name itself has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given him this perfect health in the presence of all of you. And now, friends, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. In this way, God fulfilled what he had foretold through through all the prophets that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, therefore, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah anointed for you, that is Jesus, who must remain in heaven until the time of universal restoration that God announced long ago through his holy prophets. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you from from your own people a prophet like me. You must listen to whatever he tells you. And it will be that everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be utterly rooted out of the people. And all the prophets, as many of them have spoken, from Samuel 
and those after him also predicted these days. You are the descendants of the prophets and of the covenant that God gave to your ancestors, saying to Abraham, and in your descendants all the families of the earth shall be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Gracious and merciful God, we ask that you would send your spirit, the spirit of Jesus Christ, into our midst, among us, into our hearts, breaking up hard ground, calling forth joy, bringing healing where there needs to be healing, challenging us where we need to be challenged, comforting us where we need to be comforted. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm curious um, what you all think of all of these self-service checkout stations that are popping up all over grocery stores and Target and Shaw's. Um, and uh, how many people like the self, use the self-service checkout? How many people are not, not a big fan? Maybe not a fan? Okay. Definitely a bit of a generational divide, I noticed, uh, looking out. Um, in part, they're great. Uh, you know, you get to kind of quietly walk up with, I don't know, your post-it notes and your pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. No one judges you. You get to kind of check out, walk through and leave. Um, and, but I know for me also, I'm, I'm a little bit of an introvert, and so sometimes those self-checkout stands can be a nice way to avoid a conversation I'm not too interested in having with a checkout person, just kind of to avoid human interaction, get on with my Friday night. Um, but these self-service checkouts, are, they're, they're not all bad, but they kind of do point to this trend in our culture where um, technology and other things, this, these things that help us with self-service increasingly cut us off from human relationships. Uh, they can cut us off from these day-to-day -day connections we have with people. Now, we're, we're going through a series, and we're talking about what is this thing called the church? Um, and, and at its heart, part of what the church is, part of what it, the church is, is this, this kind of ragtag group of people um, that God uses to turn us from self-centeredness to people who are centered in Jesus, and even centered in caring for others. We're, we're turned from self-centeredness to Jesus-centeredness. We're turned from self-absorption to being absorbed with Jesus in many ways. And this is part of what the church does um, in our lives. So as a church, this turn from self-centeredness to Jesus-centeredness shows at, at the heart we're Jesus' people. We're people 
living life in the name of Jesus. And what does this look like to, to be Jesus' people, to live life in the name of Jesus? Um, part of what we're going to look at today is that uh, living life in the name of Jesus means we're living according to a new way under a new authority. We're living in, in a new way, almost a new age, a new time, a new era, but we're doing it under a new, unexpected, and somewhat subversive authority in Jesus. So being Jesus' people means we're, again, we're, we're living in this new way under a new authority. In th this story, we have an Acts, we have this miracle, and then this sermon. Um, this points out this sort of, this new way, this new system, this new age that has broken in to the old world. Um, that there's some chapter that has been turned in the pages of history and even in our own lives, um, a, a negative example of this new world breaking out if anybody has read the book, The Lorax, uh, that, that early scene when the onceler chops down the first truffle tree and sells that first need. There's this change, this shift that happens in that world. Um, this could be negative or positive for you, but, you know, when Tom Brady in the year 2000 was drafted in the sixth round by the New England Patriots, there was this turning of the page. I had to look that up. I'm not necessarily a Patriots fan. Um, but uh, but, but the, this new age, this chapter has turned. And the miracle here in this, in, this, uh, in this passage, in the miracles throughout the New Testament and into Acts, they're pointing to the fact that this new age has broken out in the middle of the old one. Now, we do have to just write out, I, I recognize that just miracles themselves can be challenging for people, these miracles we have in the New Testament. And in the next two minutes, I'm not going to offer a totally satisfactory answer to, as to why these miracles, or, or do they, did they even truly happen? Um, but I just want to say a few things. One is, uh, is that people in the scientific community, probably in the last few decades, many people have become... Uh, increasingly resistant to just these sort of hardened views that the material world is all that exists and that there's no sort of external force or power offering any change in this system. That, you know, that, that this kind of prior view that all that happens in the material world is all there is to reality. You have ecologists who are many who are increasingly finding that maybe there is some sort of spiritual reality to the natural world. You have physicists, some, not all, some, who are increasingly finding that maybe this universe isn't a closed system, but maybe it's actually kind of an open system, still mysterious, but open. And now, none of these things prove these miracles in the New Testament, but what they do is they kind of soften maybe our kind of prior hardness and resistance to any sort of external realities shaping our lives in this world. 
The other thing about these miracles uh, in Acts and in the New Testament is they're not just these sort of one-off magic tricks by Jesus and his followers. Every single miracle we find all through Jesus' life and ministry into Acts, all of, these, all of these miracles, they're pointing to the quality of life that Jesus came to make possible in the world through his life and death and resurrection. This sort of new world filled with peace and wholeness, the weak being made strong, um, people's bodies and relationships and societies restored. Every single miracle points to this bigger purpose of Jesus. And um, so they, they point to this quality of life that Jesus came to make happen. So the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus brought about, started this new way, this new world that had broken in in the middle of the old world. And this happens when, so when Peter says in this miracle, uh, when he says, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. Why didn't he just say stand up and walk? He emphasizes this, the name of Jesus, and not just Jesus, but Jesus of Nazareth, the sort of podunk town in, in Galilee. Um, it would be like talking about someone from, I don't know, Fargo, North Dakota. What? But he says, Jesus of Nazareth. This new age has broken in in this sort of outsider Messiah that has come in to make things different. And throughout the prophets, all the way into the New Testament, the picture of who the Messiah was supposed to be. And that's what Jesus is pointing to. When he says, in the name of Jesus, of Nazareth, he's saying, in the name of this chosen one of God, the Messiah wasn't going to be just this one-off leader. The Messiah, as was promised in the Old Testament, was going to be this one who would actually restore Israel and then eventually all nations to a place in a society of wholeness, spiritual, social, relational, physical wholeness. The Messiah would start this new age. Um, but the, uh, many people at Jesus' time, they thought it would be sort of this top-down transfer of power, like, you know, Bledsoe to Brady, that it would be just this top-down transfer of power. And it, but what we find instead in Jesus, and this is what challenged so many people, is it was this sort of uh, inside-out restoration. It was this bottom-up change, and that happened first in Jesus through his life and death and resurrection, and then through these people, the church, first through the apostles and then, then on through the generations to us, people who God is working out this new way as we live and walk in the name and the power of Jesus. Yeah, less than this sort of top-down transfer of power that everyone was hoping for and expecting, this sort of new world from the bottom up, it's a bit more like a new baby born to first-time parents. 
This baby that just kind of in the walls of the house starts to turn the parents' world upside down, but also brings this sort of unexpected new life and joy into their lives. Into their lives, it transforms the family. That's more like what this kingdom of God is like, this new age that Jesus brings in. Now, so what does this new age look like? This miracle is a picture of what this new age looks like. A man with a broken body, not just restored to physical health, but also restored in his connection to God and then brought in to this community of people that Jesus had formed. We have outcasts welcomed in. Look throughout the New Testament, throughout the Gospels, into, into Acts. We have outcasts are being welcomed in. Women are dignified in a society when they, where they were not. It's, it's a community that brings in the marginalized um, wherever they're found. And as it's a community of outsiders being welcomed in, it's a reminder to all of us that we're all kind of outsiders a little bit in the church being welcomed in to this new people that God is forming. The church is not a subculture. We're kind of this ragtag group of people learning to grow in love and in grace with each other, receiving that love and grace from God. And this miracle, it points to that quality of what the church is supposed to be like. And we find throughout Acts, already before this in the sermon preached last week, that it's not just these, you know, extraordinary, miraculous works that point to the way this new world is supposed to be in Jesus. We also just see it in the daily acts of love and compassion caring for one another, bearing one another's burdens, this, this picture of this church that was selling things to be able to care for each other and provide for each other's needs. Those works, those sort of daily behind-the-scenes works are in the kingdom of God just as miraculous as this miracle. But these miracles, they point to this new world, this new way of life, that Jesus um, sought and worked to bring into being. I don't know if, if anyone remembers, I think it was earlier this year, there was a prayer request um, shared for a, a man, a Burmese man named Noon. Um, Noon is a friend of mine and a, a ministry partner. And, and Noon, born and raised in, in Myanmar, uh, he... Uh, a number of years ago, he started a um, ministry training school and, also, and then also an orphanage for war orphans in Myanmar on the outskirts of Yangon. Um, and his life has just been turned up down in the midst of this uh, military takeover in, in Myanmar. He had to close the ministry training school. He had to close his orphanage, uh, but what he did is he then brought all of the, orphan, all of the orphans to live um, in his family's home with him so that he could continue to protect, feed, and educate these children. Um, a few weeks ago, I was on a, 
a Zoom call with a number of ministry leaders from around the world and doing all kinds of things from ministries connected to child trafficking, other people running orphanage, orphanages, church planters, people doing things all around the world, and Noon was on this call with us. Um, and Noon shared with us what we were talking, and he said, you know, one of, our, one of our girls, one of these orphan girls, her name is Julie, she, um, she's been having these seizures for the last two weeks, kind of two to ten times a day she's been having these, these seizures. And a lot of it started as some of the conflicts in their area started building up. And you can imagine the trauma that this young girl has experienced first as an orphan, then finally she had some stability in an orphanage, and now the orphanage has been closed and she's basically isolated in this home day after day after day. Um, and so Noon shared this with us, and um, uh, another person on the call started sharing, and then we started hearing this noise, and I looked over at the little window on the screen, and there was Noon, and he had gone over, um, and this, this young girl, Julie, she was, she was having a seizure as we were all on this Zoom call. And it, I did not know how to react to being on Zoom and seeing this event happen and kind of being connected but not disconnected. And thankfully, I was the only Presbyterian on the call, and there were a number of other Pentecostals friends. And so immediately, one of these women, Pentecostal women, she said, let's pray. And I'm hearing this short but powerful Pentecostal prayer, still hearing the sounds of Julie having a seizure uh, on the screen. Um, and then Noon had to get off to, to care for her. Um, about two weeks later, we got a text from Noon saying that the, the very last seizure that Julie had was during that prayer call. That was the last one she had had, and he said she was slowly starting to become herself again. This girl restored through prayer in Jesus' name to a loving community that was a witness to the way of Jesus in a very broken society. This is like what this miracle in Acts 3 is pointing to. It's about restoring people um, to communities in the way that the world is supposed to be, but even in the midst of a broken world. So we do, we pray for miracles in Jesus' name that the power of the crucified and risen Jesus would miraculously work out these purposes of healing and restoration and wholeness in the lives of people. We pray in faith. But we also continue to live out in just the daily faithful ways. We live out um, these healing, restorative acts in every area of our lives in Jesus' name to see the same type of healing and wholeness and restoration happen in people's lives. Uh, listening to a struggling coworker in Jesus' name, listening to uh, maybe a struggling friend at school, in Jesus' name, thinking, spreading mayonnaise on a sandwich back 
prepping for Sunday sandwiches in Jesus' name. All of these daily acts of living out this new life in this new way that began in Jesus. We do all these things in Jesus' name. I love the, the picture of uh, after this miracle happens in, uh, towards the end of um, verse 10 and into 11, the picture of Peter standing in the temple, this former fisherman, next to John, and then you have this man, formerly crippled, hanging on, Jesus, uh, hanging on Peter's arm while Peter is sharing about Jesus. That, that's a picture of who we are as a church who, that, that lives and breathes in Jesus' name. So living lives in the name of Jesus, it's about entering in to this new way, this new era, this new age that has started in Jesus. And it's doing this under a new authority. It's under this unexpected, somewhat subversive authority that is Jesus. We have this shift in the story between, we have verses 1 through 10 and then verses 11 through 26. First the miracle and then this sermon. And Peter very quickly transitions from this miracle happened in this man's life to preaching about Jesus. This, um, th this miracle in the name of Jesus was direct, happened to point directly to who Jesus is, who this Messiah is. So Peter's saying, it's not just that the Messiah came in general. When you say the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, when we say in the name of something in the Bible, it's pointing to something very specific. It's saying the Messiah is this one. It's this Jesus. It's this one who lived, suffered, poured out his life um, all the way unto death and then was raised again. It's this Jesus who's the Messiah. It's this one who is the Messiah, not just anyone, but this one. And this one, as the creeds tell us in Jesus, this is very God of very God. This Jesus, this specific one who lived this specific way in just this perfect embodiment of self giving love, this is who our God is. This is the new world that I came to make. And this, God is saying, this is who I am. It's this Jesus, this one, Jesus of Nazareth from this unimportant town in Galilee. It's this humble servant, Jesus Messiah, is the one for Peter that should capture our imaginations and our lives. 
Not any authority, not anyone, not any Lord, uh, but this one specifically. This one, for Peter, is the Lord that we center our lives on. We just, when he says, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, he's saying that Jesus needs to saturate everything that we do. Another part of this, another point of the reason why Peter is being so specific about who Jesus is and the quality of his life and his death and his resurrection, it's meant to counter and somewhat relativize other competing authorities in the lives of the listeners who he was talking to. The lordship, the unexpected lordship of Jesus in our lives, it counters other authorities who want to demand our ultimate allegiance to them. If you remember um, Sojourner Truth, who in the 1800s went from uh, slave to freed slave to abolitionist to advocate for women's rights, she would often counter these other uh, oppressive authorities over her lives, slave owners and men, by claiming the authority of Jesus in her life, countering their claims of ultimate authority over her by claiming the ultimate authority of Jesus in her life. Jesus' authority, it's a liberating authority in our lives. Now, I recognize that the word authority in our culture um, can be seen as almost completely a negative thing, and with plenty of good evidence. Just thinking this last week about just continuing stories that come up, I'm thinking in, in women's sports that we've heard just over and over and over again of these accounts of men abusing their positions of authority and being abusive toward the women that they're working with. So there's reasons to be suspicious of authority. And I think Jesus would encourage a healthy level of suspicion about anyone trying to claim ultimate authority over our lives. We also are just people who uh, we, we give over without thinking it. We give over uh, authority to all kinds of systems in our lives as well. I mean, I was just thinking about this week about our, uh, our smartphones where companies uh, are trying to gain our devotion to stamp brand loyalty for the rest of our lives so that we'll continue to purchase their products. They're, and in trying to gain our devotion, what do, what, what do they do? It drains our pocketbooks, destroys our environment, and then in a weird way, kind of puts, makes us feel like we're serving ourselves. So it's this kind of twisted self-adoration that companies kind of have us in these cycles. And we all feel it. I feel it. Jesus is that only ultimate liberating authority who, who through his love and grace, poured out in sacrificial love on the cross, it's that only authority that can draw up our devotion to him 
And as we devote ourselves to Jesus, our hearts are opened up in love to God, love to others, and even a healthy love of ourselves in its proper place. Jesus is the ultimate liberating authority in our lives who wants to free us from our lives that are geared toward being obsessed with self, um, but also the one who, those of us who might be the one who is that abusive person in power. It's Jesus who went to the cross to absorb all of our destructive behaviors, offering us grace, offering us the freedom to turn from those abusive ways, turn towards Jesus, and receive His mercy and His love. Um, I promise to, I'm, I'm looking at the time, and I'll, I, I, I promise to answer the question in my heart of the matter about why we pray in Jesus' name. I'm going to be a little bit more brief than I, I was planning. Um, praying in Jesus' name means that all of our prayers, our whole lives, they're wrapped up in this new way and in this new authority. Uh, prayer isn't this spiritual self-service station. Prayer is meant to help all of us promote and call on the power of God to bring about these lives that are focused on um, being restorative, promoting peace and compassion and care in our world. Praying in the name of Jesus, finally, it reminds us that we're not alone. We're not our own little personal do-it-yourself projects. We have this power of the crucified and risen Jesus that is at work in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. Um, we pray that it would... Uh, permeate our lives, draw us further and further in to the way of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.